I want to know the truth. This world offers me more confusion than answers. What does it mean to live in truth and follow Jesus? Who is he calling us to be? He has given us his word to find exactly what we are looking for. He is what we need. Uh, we're going to continue in our series, What Is? And over the last couple of weeks, uh, Dad and Kara, we, we've looked at some topics of what is a man? Uh, we've looked at what is a woman? What is God's design for marriage? And typically when you put those three things together, you get kids. That's right. Children, right? So we're going to talk about, you guys see what we got there? One plus one plus one equals, all right, we got. Uh, so this morning we're going to be looking at what is God's design for a parent? Right? What, is our, what is our role? What is the call? What is the biblical design for what God has placed in front of us as parents? And so I want to pray this morning, and then we will jump in. So, Lord, we thank you again that we get to come worship. God, we thank you that uh, you are with us here. And, Lord, I, I want to recognize and, and, Lord, just even repent, Lord, if we have come in here this morning uh, to be entertained by a service, Lord, will you forgive us and will you help shift our heart posture uh, to come into worship, to encounter you, to be with you, and to hear you speak. So Holy Spirit, will you clear distractions, we give you full freedom in this place this morning, and in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This past uh, Monday afternoon, I've had the privilege of serving over at Monroe Area High School with an organization by the name of NG3 for about five years now, and so uh, most of my afternoons are spent with uh, high school kids. And so one of our football players, a, a linebacker, a really good player earlier in the year, tore his ACL. And so he's been uh, sidelined and just kind of hanging out during practices and stuff recently. And so Monday he was sitting over off to the bench uh, before he went in for surgery this Friday. And so walked over, grabbed a seat next to him and just began to, to hang out and catch up and asked, man, what did you do this weekend? And he said, well, I got to go up to Greene County. Uh, his mom lives up in Greene County. Some of his family is up that way. And began to share how he was able to go and have a bonfire with his mom and see some of his siblings and how excited he was about that. And a backstory for this kid is back when he was in middle school, he says, I remember getting called to the office and, and all of a sudden DFAX is, is standing there because my mom, she just couldn't, she couldn't take care of me and my siblings. And so I ended up getting, he ends up getting shipped off uh, down the road here to Monroe with an aunt and an uncle where he's been since he was in middle school. And he's shared, and as he shared this past Monday, he said, man, I just, I just feel this void. Like, I just feel this, this sadness inside. And I said, is that void because of, like, the family dynamics? And he says, yeah, man. He goes, I just recognize that, like, man, I just want my family to be together. And whenever I'm with them, there is something inside that is, is so excited. But when I know I've got to leave and when I know that things are going to go back to separation, he's like, man, it hurts. Like, there's this void. He said, I've, I've told my mama, he's like, man, there's one day where I'm going to do whatever I can to bring our family back together. And you got this 17 or 18-year-old kid. Whether he knows it or not, in God's design, the design of God when he created man and when he created woman so that they would leave their father's household, come together, join in marriage, and Lord willing, be able to have children. God's design is for the mom and the dad and the child and that household to be together. And we see that there is a pain, man. We hear the heart of this 17, 18-year-old kid. He's like, man, it hurts knowing that, man, I just want to be back with my mom and my siblings. But I, I spend most all of my days, whether that be uh, with my own two young kids that my wife and I are raising, or whether it be at the high school, I spend most of my time working with students and working with kids. And, and I'll say, like, it is, it is so clear 
Each kid that, that, that comes from a really good home and good parents and a loving, nurturing home and a kid that does not have that. It's easy and it's so clear to see which kind of comes from which. And so this morning, the first thing I'd say if we're taking notes this morning would be this. The home life sets the tone and the trajectory for every young kid. The home life, the parent, the spiritual mentors, the, 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 the people that are shepherding young kids, whether that be from birth all the way up until 18 and graduation and so forth, the home sets the tone for where that kid's going to go the rest of their life. And if this is the case, then the call to parent is vitally important. And so you may find yourself this morning, there's, I think there's a, there's a list of, of ways that we're called to parent. That might be biological. Like you might have gotten married and God may have blessed you to be able to have children. You're raising up your own kids. God may have placed this deep desire inside of you to, to adopt or to foster, to welcome in the fatherless, welcome in the motherless, give protection, nurturing, comfort for a kid who doesn't have that. Or maybe you find yourself with no kids this morning, but God has placed this unique call for you to go and spiritually parent and mentor and disciple and develop the next generation. No matter what realm we find ourselves in, I would say and be bold enough to say each of us has a responsibility to help raise, shepherd, and parent the next generation. It is vitally important for the next generation to have hope that we are investing, whether that's into our kids, the neighbor's kids, or the kids at the local elementary, middle, or high school. We all have a call to shepherd and to be parents. So wherever you find yourself this morning... This is the call, and this is what we want to look at this morning. So to address the possible elephant in the room, I have not been parenting for as long as some of you have. Uh, recognize that my wife and I, we're on the younger season of life. We've got some younger kids that we're raising. But I believe fundamentally there are some things that God is clear about. And my wife, she sat in here in the first service, and just to, to bless her and let her know and, and reminding her and to tell you guys, like, I would be not the father I am, nor have any uh, of the ability I have to father if it wasn't for my wife. And the ability to partner with grace and listening to her wisdom and her heart to, to shepherd and to raise these kids. The amount of hours that she pours into uh, researching and studying to be the best that she can for our boys is incredible. In preparation even for this morning, just leaning into her wisdom, leaning into the amount of study that she has. There was a couple of the first nights when Cedar was born. I remember walking into the bathroom and I would just sit on the side of the tub and I would start sobbing because I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. But I can look across at Grace and she so naturally was just mothering and caring and was cool and calm and collected. Uh, I'll give another example. There was uh, one afternoon when I came home from work a little bit early while Cedar, this is when he was about a year, year and a half, he was still taking a nap. And so I heard Cedar wake up. Uh, so I walked upstairs to, to get him up from his nap. And when I opened up the door, there was a peculiar smell in that room that was uh, normally not there. And so my first reaction as, as being one to be quick to blame, which is something we're working on, is to open up the door and yell down the stairs and say, Grace, did you not throw the diaper out if you, after you changed him earlier? And she's scrambling. She's like, I, I, think I, I don't think I left anything laying out. And I go in there all cynical and open that door back up and flip the light on. And to that point in my fatherhood, guys, and to this point, I've never seen something so horrific and so terrifying in my life. <laughs> like war paint on the face of an Indian warrior. He had spread poop from his diaper across his forehead, down his cheeks, covered his arms, the poles of his crib, and all the contents within. And my reaction when I saw that was to scream. I yelled, Grace! Grace! And she's like, she's panicking, runs upstairs, what is going on? And I was like, what are we going to do? 
And as cool as could be, she said, we're going to pick him up. We're going to put him in the tub. We're going to do the laundry. and It's all going to be okay. And I was just huffing and puffing, thinking, if that's what you say is best, that's what we're going to do, right? And recognizing, again, man, just to, to bless my wife. She's like, man, she's an incredible mother. But together, God's design, man, woman, join together. As you parent together, what are the things that we are to do? How are we to shepherd? How are we to raise our children? And so there's a, a couple things we're going to address. We could spend a whole series, I think, just on parenting. But we're going to look at kind of three major key things this morning. You could sum up the message uh, with this statement. Our role is to steward the next generation in such a way that raises young men and women to be followers of Jesus, obedient and honorable in conduct, and reflecting Jesus. So the first thing this morning we'll look at is this. What is our role as parents? I would say, number one, it is to steward the unique identity within our kids. It's to steward the unique identity within our kids. Proverbs 22.6 says this. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The Hebrew here, it speaks of uh, training up a child in the way that he should go. It speaks of this idea of the individual way and inclination that is built within the child. It speaks of discerning the child's strengths and weaknesses and parenting in such a way as to take those things into account. As you train up your child, how are you training them? It is being intentional to say, God, what is the uniqueness, what is the specificities that you have knitted together within our child? One of the things that we're called to do is we're called to foster this uniqueness. The psalmist will write in Psalm 139, he says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. For your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Each of us. And every child, everyone sitting in this room and every child under our care, we must recognize that we have been specifically, uniquely, and intricately woven together within the fabric of our being by God. Who you are is no accident. Who you are is no surprise to God. But each of us, as we sit here, as the arms and legs and eyes and ears of the body of Christ, God has specifically gifted you and made you in a unique way as to live into the kingdom of God. And the call of the parent is to be able to recognize and begin to be intentional in wisdom to say, God, how have you uniquely crafted this child under my care? How have you specifically grafted and woven this child together? And then it is our role, it is our responsibility to begin to then draw that out. It is begin to foster that. It is begin to speak life into those areas. Right? We are to, to encourage them. We are to, to speak life into this uniqueness of who that they are. I, I've watched my parents be able to tell all four, all five of us kids growing up, like we never saw them place this unnecessary expectation of who they thought we should be or who they wanted us to be, right? Growing up, we, we played baseball. My dad played and played for a long time, and growing up, I had a desire and a love to play ball. I can't tell you after so many games how often I came into the house wanting to quit and say I was having enough. Right? There was one game I came in and, and specifically there was an at bat where I looked at three straight pitches. And my dad, the next at bat, said, hey, why don't you go up there without a bat this time if you're not going to swing? 
And it was instances like that where I came home and I said, to heck with this game, man. I don't want to play this anymore. I'm tired of this. Right? I want to go play with my friends. I want to go hang out on the weekends. And my dad, he would never let me quit. Not because he was trying to impose on me the same thing that he had done, but because he saw something in me that he knew that he wanted to draw out and, and to encourage, and he wasn't going to let me give up on. And I think back to that so often. If I would have never had this dream of playing college and professional baseball, if he would have just let me quit. But he said, no, I see something in you. There's this uniqueness. You've got this ability. You've got these talents and giftings and, and amongst other things. Same way, years ago, I was 21 years old. The first time he said, I want you to get up here and give your testimony. I thought, there is never a chance where I'm going to get up here and begin to speak in front of people. It scares me. And over the last year, he says, no, you've got, I see this gift. I see this annoyance. I see this thing that God has given you. I want to draw and cultivate that out. I've seen him do that with the other four siblings. Right, like there, there's been some that said, man, I don't think the role uh, for me or my gifting is to go to college. Quite frankly, I don't think any of us were really cut up for college, but some of us, some of it, man, we tried, right, Rach? We, we gave the old college try, literally. But we see with Hannah and with Jesse and with Caleb, they're like, man, that's not, that's not in your, your DNA, man. That's not, we get that. We're not going to force you to go and to do this thing, but you're going to work and we're going to begin to speak life and encourage and draw out these things within you. That's why the youngest cash right now, he makes more than most grown men I know because he's been encouraged to go and cultivate these natural giftings. A good practice for us as parents to begin to ask, God, help us in wisdom. Will you give me the ability to see the uniqueness that you have placed within our child? If you're mentoring, if you're shepherding, if you're spiritually parenting a kid, you're fostering, begin to pray, God, what is that unique identity that you've placed within that child? Who have you created them to be? Because I have seen the pain of a kid whose dad has tried to impose on them some kind of insecure void that the father had. And to fill that void, they place an unnecessary expectation and pressure on them to be somebody that God never created them to be. And it is absolutely disruptive for the life of that young kid. I've heard dads or, or individuals say, well, my kid, he's not going to play soccer. Or my kid's not going to be in the band. Or my kid's not going to do whatever it would may be. And when you make those kind of my kid's not going to be statements, then you are assuming that you know the identity that God's created within them. You're assuming I know what's best for this kid and who God's created them to be. And you may be robbing them or stripping them of something that God wants to use to impact the kingdom of God and bless other people. So a practice would be, guys, begin to pray, Lord, who have you created my child to be? What is the uniqueness that you are grooming inside of them that you want to draw out? If we've all been given unique giftings and abilities, then Lord, help show me. Help me to be able to see. Grace and I have done this with our boys. God, what do you, what do you call Cedar? I feel like God told Grace and I both in separate times of prayer that he was a bringer of peace. He's a peacemaker. So then for us to be able to say, okay, Lord, how do we begin then to encourage that? We see this gentle, tender, peace-loving side of Cedar. I mean, how do we speak life into that? Right now, Arrow is just a tornado. We're trying to tame the storm sometimes, man. All right, we're not quite sure what that identity is, but... As they get older and we see their giftings and we see their interests and their hobbies and their likes continuing to pray, okay, God, what do we do with this? How do we foster this well? How do we care for them well in this area? That's the first thing I would say our role as parents is. The second thing I would say is this. Our role is to point them back to God. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, 
but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. David Guzik on this passage, he'll say, parents certainly have the opportunity to provoke their children to wrath through an unkind, overcritical attitude that torments the child instead of training them. Lloyd-Jones will follow up and he'll say, when you are disciplining a child, you should have first controlled yourself. What right have you to say to your child that he needs disciplining when you obviously need it yourself? Amen. Right, anybody else ever gotten so mad on the way to spank your kid that you threw the paddle at the door and it broke? This me? Okay. Well, that's, uh, I've done that before. So what, what the pastor says is like, man, like our role then is to discipline, is to train them, is to, to point them to the Lord. And the responsibility for the parent is, is that I've got to first be yielded to Jesus before I have the ability and the capacity then to teach my kids. Right, I'll tell this to, to even volunteers as we're training them to go work in the high schools. I'll say, if you, if you are not first being filled up, if you are not first submitted to the lordship of Jesus and your cup is not being filled, you have absolutely nothing to pour into anybody else. This idea that before we can begin to point our children to the Lord, we must recognize I have got to be spending that time with the Lord. I am responsible to bring them up in discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And I can't do that if I don't know what the instructions of the Lord is for myself. So how do we do that? I would say three things. How do we, how do we point our children to the Lord? Number one, I'd say is we've got to set an example for our children. They've got to see it done in you before you can ever begin to teach that and then replicate it. We would all recognize it is very counterproductive to tell an individual, whether it's your child or elsewise, to do something and then you act a completely opposite way. There's a lack of trust there. There's a lack of accountability there. So for you to begin to teach, raise our children, point them to the Lord and the instructions of God, you've got to be able to set that example. When my granddad, when dad's dad was in his 40s is when the Lord grabbed a hold of his heart. And dad tells stories of, of it being two or three o'clock in the morning and him and his brother Adam laying in bed and, and hearing our granddad walk up and down the house in the hallways, pleading, yelling, praying out loud, begging God that he would save his kids and his family. And in his mid-twenties, my dad began to follow Jesus. The Lord grabbed a hold of his heart and he started following Jesus and diving in so that when he got married and when we were born, that he began to point us and raise us and point us to the heart of the father. And now my two boys at 19 years old, when I gave my life to the Lord, my boys are growing up in a household who's being taught the instructions and the ways of the Lord, all because their great grandfather years ago set the tone in their home. And I was thinking about that this week, man, I'd love to be able to look at my granddad who's now with Jesus and be able to look at him and just tell him, thank you. Thank you for making that decision in your forties. Thank you for walking up and down that house in the middle of the night and praying over your family. Thank you for showing my dad what it looks like for a man who is uh, wayward and living a, apart from you to grab, uh, for you to grab a hold of their heart, be radically saved. Thank you for setting the trajectory change in your household, which changed mine, which is now changing our boys. Thank you. The first thing that we've got to do is set an example. The second thing I would say is our role is to teach our children simple things like reading Bible stories to them before bed. Maybe they're a little bit older. I was hearing a, there's a mom and a, and a husband who, uh, they've got 10 kids. And every single morning, they've got scripture time. It says they wake up at 7.30, they come downstairs, they sit down, and they read, and they get in the Word together. And she's like, it's not always perfect. Like we've got some teenagers all the way down to like three-year-olds. Sometimes the three-year-olds running around, and it's hard to kind of keep them sitting in one place. She goes, but we're creating this rhythm of, man, we're reading scripture together. 
If you've never read a toddler Bible story and you think that the Holy Spirit can't speak to you, I would say that you were wrong because I've been rocked one night reading a child's Bible story about Joshua to my kids. But this practice of we're going to sit down, we're going to pray together. One of the most beautiful things is last night we read a little Bible story about Jesus teaching of when to pray and how you go into the quiet place. And right, there's this picture of this little girl kneeling by her bed. So we get done reading the Bible story and I said, okay, guys, let's pray before bed. And Cedar said, well, I need to go in my room where it's quieter. <laughs> and I thought, well, I hear you, but we're going we're gonna to start here. And seeing my boys sitting down at dinner and, and asking Arrow at two years old, buddy, do you want to play? And he says, yes. And he'll go, A-U, thank you, amen. And he's ready to eat. Man. <laughs> but seeing this rhythm of, man, we want to teach our kids to pray. We want to teach them to read. I've debated on whether even sharing this at times because I, I don't want this to sound prideful by any means, but we've been practicing Sabbath as a family uh, as best we can off and on for the last couple months. And one of the, the rhythms of the Jewish people is for the man of the house to speak a word of blessing over the wife and then the kids before you sit down to eat and pray. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, we went through and we did our blessing and I sat down and Cedar got up and he said, well, I want to bless you, Dan. <laughs> I watched my little four-year-old man get up out of his seat, which the two-year-old was right after him. And walked over and put his hand on me and gave me a hug and just began to bless me. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for playing with us. Thank you for these little things that a four-year-old could conjure up. And that's huge, man. Like, that's a highlight of my week is when my boys have seen this exemplified. And they say, well, we want to bless you now. We want to come and speak a word of blessing over you. It's an incredible thing. Right? Other things I would say is like, what ways can you draw their eyes up to the Creator? Simple things like driving down the road in the morning or the evening and you see a beautiful sunrise or a rainbow or a sunset and you can begin to say, look boys, look, you know who did that? You know who's creating that sunrise? You know who's put that rainbow in the sky? Do you know what that means? Watch those birds eat. You know who feeds those birds each morning? Beginning to draw their attention, draw their affection. One of the football coaches I work with is a member here and, and he says, man, we were spending some time in Bible study over the last couple of weeks and Talking about creation, talking about recognizing God in creation. He says, man, it's one of the highlights would be when I was driving my kids to school every morning and we'd crest in this hill before we got to the school. And when the sun was coming up based on certain times of the year, you would just see this radiant sunrise. And beginning to teach my kids, look at that sunrise, look at that sunrise. And he said, it grabbed me when my daughter one day, when she started saying, dad, look how pretty, look what God's done, look at that sunrise. It's so important. We point them to God. You set the example, and then you're intentional about the ways we're drawing our eyes or we're drawing our kids' eyes to the Father. You've got to set the example. It starts with you. Last thing I would say in this point is to, to point back to your Ebenezer's. Okay, an Ebenezer in Scripture would be a, a monument, some kind of tangible item that would point people's memory back to a time God intervened or did something. We see a picture of this in the book of Joshua. And as Joshua was leading the Israelites to the promised land, they got to the Jordan River where they had to cross. And it says at that time the Jordan River was in flood season. So it would have been this raging river that the people would have been unable to cross. But God tells Joshua, I want you and the prophets and the Ark of the Covenant to step into the river out of faith. And it says that as they stepped in, God had dammed the waters miles ahead. At the moment of faith in God's timing, the water stopped and all of the Israelites were able to walk across on dry land. And, and so they get across the other side and, and God tells Joshua, hey, tell the priests to each go grab a stone out of the river. And it says, I want you to stack these stones. We pick it up in Joshua chapter 4. 
God tells Joshua, when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. One of the roles in shepherding kids is to say, man, I'm creating Ebenezers. I have things in my life. For my case, I've covered it myself in tattoos of Ebenezers of stories where God showed up, right? This idea of when my kids say, what does that tattoo mean? Or what does that monument mean? Or what does that picture remind you? What does that stone mean on the mantle? We as parents, as mentors, as shepherds could say, that reminds me of pointing back to a time where Yahweh intervened in a time where it seemed hopeless. This is a time where God provided in a season where we had nothing. This is a moment where God answered a prayer of healing when it seemed like all hope was lost. One of the practices of pointing our kids to God and pointing their eyes up to the Lord. And I think one of the greatest spiritual practices we can have is the act of remembering. If we can remember, if we can point back, if we can show our kids, yes, I see and I understand what's taking place now, but look what God's done before and I believe and trust that he'll do it again. It's an incredible practice. It's an incredible thing to point our kids back to Ebenezer's. Guzik will continue on this point. He'll say, this is shepherding or pointing our kids to the Lord. This is the responsibility for fathers. They must not neglect their responsibility to teach and be a spiritual example for the children. It is not a responsibility that should be left to the mother or to the Sunday school. And I want to pause here for a second. Because there are some mothers in here I know that, that you've had no choice but to be the main shepherd of your kids. And we commend you and we back you and we support you in your role to raise these, these, these young men and these women and pointing them to the Lord. But hear me say this, for every single mom, there is often the responsibility of a father who did not step into the role that God has called you to be. Guzik will say, this is the role of the father. This is the role of the man. This is the role of the head of the household to step up and to be a man. If you're not mature enough to then lead your family, your wife, and your kids, then you need to put it away and stop sleeping around. Until you are able and ready to step into a role where it says, I am going to show up for my family. It starts with us. We set the tone. We set the trajectory. By loving and serving our wives, we then help empower our wives, empower our women to then do the work throughout the week when we may be gone. That is a role of the fathers to set that tone. That is vitally important. It is vitally important for you men. There's tons of kids, as I said, at the high school who grow up without dads. Or maybe there's a present dad, but he's unintentional or he's absent when it comes to emotionally or, or something like that. Realizing there are tons of young men that they need a male role model. Dallas, John Mark, these guys with KOZ, things that we do with NG3. We are drawing people and inviting them into this place to say there are young men and women who need spiritual fathers and mothers. There's a need for fathers and mothers. Men, it starts with us setting that tone. Guza continues on that quote, and he says, in this training, pointing them to the things of the Lord, training is a word that carries the idea of training through corrective discipline. This leads us to our third point this morning, which would be this. Discipline is necessary. Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent, uh, diligent to discipline him. Like most, most everything else in culture, most everything else in our world, there are trends, right? There's these ups and downs of trends. And I would say right now what one of the most uh, predominant, if not the most predominant 
uh, trend in parenting right now is this idea of gentle parenting. All right, this movement is all about the collaboration with the child over the authority as the parent for your kids. And let me say it this way. I would never leave my house on the way to a beach vacation one summer with the only GPS being Cedar in the back seat telling me when he felt like or thought it would be best for me to turn. <laughs> Nor would I only ever give my kids a bath or bathe them when they felt like it was time. And more so with that, I would be crazy if I only ever fed them that which they felt like and thought they wanted to eat in that moment. And more often than not, well, let me say this, I have experiences, you as a parent have experiences, God has given us experiences in life that give us the mental capacity and the intellectual ability that are far greater than that of a child. I might not be smarter than most people, but I know for a fact I'm smarter than my kids. And it would be foolish, it would be foolish of us as parents to allow and to allow the child of the home to dictate the things that that, fa uh, that family, that household does. If you don't like when an employer or an employee, someone of equal status, equal age, equal placement tries to tell you what to do, speaks down to you, or talks down to you, then why would you let your children do the same? If we don't want to be spoken down to by those of equal status, then we are in danger if we allow the littlest ones of our household who live under our roof and our care and bills to dictate that which we do as a family. I want to read you a couple of these quotes just from the gentle parenting movement. The first one would be this. All feelings, they say, are valid. And I would say that initially, this may seem like an innocent quote. This may seem like something that's very innocent. Like all feelings are, are valid and, and they should be heard out and things like that. I, I would say, I, I would probably word it this way a little bit better, that all feelings... Uh, you may have a feeling or an emotion. That is where it's valid. That is something that you actually feel. But it does not mean that it is validated to be acted on. All feelings are valid. That means if a child's reaction is coming off the rails and we believe that all feelings are valid, then they are valid for responding in such a chaotic, destructive way. And here's where we've got to have the wisdom of the parent to say, yes, all feelings are real. You actually feel that. But it is my responsibility to shepherd and teach you how to channel that emotion in a different direction. My boss has this saying he'll kind of go through with his kids, and they've got different things for the, the boys and the girls. One of the things that he'll recite with his daughter is they will say, my feelings are real, but they're not always right. Recognizing that we've got feelings that are real, but it doesn't mean that they're always right. And if we allow the invalidness of a child's immediate emotion based on a quick response to dictate the way that we then are shepherding, correcting, or disciplining, we are in danger of setting that kid up for failure. Second one would be this. The, the leader of this gentle parenting movement, she says that this parenting method is for everyone. Atheists, Christians, Muslims, pagans. Religion is irrelevant, so is age, sexuality, gender, identity, and political learning. Again, this may sound like a very inclusive and positive thing for us as parents, but we recognize that we find our wisdom in Scripture and in the things of the Lord, not in that of man's best ideas and new ideas. If there is a movement, if there is a practice that would openly make the claim that the things of Christianity, the things of God are irrelevant, then hear me say you need to run and flee from such a practice. 
if anything were to say the things of God and his teachings do not apply here, then they should not apply to the people of Jesus. Do you hear me? If the basis or the belief or the method of living makes any claim apart from God, it should clearly be apart from us. And hear me say this too, gentle parenting. This idea of we don't want to discipline, we don't want to spank, we don't want to talk down to. In the momentary moment of that child's disciplinary moment, it might spare that little hind end a little bit of pain in the moment. But you are setting that child up for potential devastating and drastic consequences down the road. Who has ever seen a child, I would, and maybe not, this is not a place to raise hands, but we could all probably think of instances where we have seen a child who clearly has had no discipline, no structure, no accountability in their childhood and raised up. And we end up with young adolescents and potentially adults that are irresponsible, no maturity, and are suffering greatly because they were not told no and they were not disciplined as a child. This is an important role of the parent. Paul will write that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and God's people said self-control. And I love that in this passage, like self-control is almost the exclamation point or the finale, so to speak, of the fruits of the Spirit. Self-control is something that we must have disciplined inside of us. Pointing back to before we can point our kids to the Lord, we've got to first be submitted to the Lordship. Before we can then teach our children self-control and how to channel emotion and discipline, we've got to make sure that we're first self-controlled. It is hard to discipline a child when you first have no self-control. It is hard to correct when you've never been corrected. You have got to learn self-control yourself before we have the ability and the competence even to channel the emotion and the self-control of a child. Paul also write in 1 Corinthians 3.19, he says, For the wisdom of this world is folly or foolishness with God. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Tony Evans will say on this passage, he says that the wisdom of the world, which considers everything from an earthly perspective and has no place for supernatural view of reality, is foolishness with God. He says you can call it wisdom if you like, but if a worldview disagrees with God's view of things, it is nothing but folly or foolishness. And I would say that we must be so cautious in getting caught up in the whim of parenting for whatever the new and the best thing that's coming out here is. Because if you are following a new man-made structure of parenting or some kind of thing of like the sorts, it's probably because the previous man-made method did not work and they had to come up with something new to try to correct what they already failed at the first time. And so if we then are abiding ourselves to a parenting method that is man-made apart from Scripture, trying to correct their own wrongs and make up for lost time for what the last method didn't work, you are in danger of raising and setting your child on a path that could lead them in adolescence and adulthood for complete destruction and chaos. Nick, Teresa, if you guys want to head up this way. The one method of parenting, I will say, that we can see that is tested and held true for generations after generations after generations. Number one, I'd say is bathing your kids in prayer. Second thing I would say is setting the exemplary way of living, teaching your children the things of God, and loving your kids through discipline. My dad shares that when we were growing up as kids, he would come into our room at night, and before we'd pray every night, he would pray, Lord, I pray that you'll help my boys and my kids grow in wisdom 
and in stature and in favor with you and man. And I've seen the fruits of those prayers night after night after night after night after night of God answering these prayers, of seeing the children grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. And so every night, every chance I get, what do I pray over my boys? God, will you help cedar and arrow grow in wisdom and in stature, especially that little dude, man, we got to get some weight on him. And may you help them grow in favor with you and with man. I have been a testament of the faithful prayers of a mom and dad who have loved us, who have been there for us, who, who set an example of how it, or what it looked like to follow the Lord. I have had that butt whooped a couple times for some wrong decisions, and I will tell you, it is a good thing. It is a good thing. Point your kids to the Lord. Point them back to Ebenezer's. Teach them to remember and to recognize when God shows up. And I'd ask this question and leave you with this. Am I raising my child? Am I shepherding? Am I mentoring the child under my care or pointing them in such a way that reflects Jesus and points them to him? I love we had somebody in the first service. He wrote down a note and showed me after and has said questions to parents. Am I shepherding or am I a butcher? <laughs> am I shepherding my kids to the Lord or am I creating habits and things in their life that is butchering them, that is leading them to the potential slaughter down the road one day? Father, thanks for this morning. We thank you for the fact that you're the, the best father. We thank you that in our efforts to, to try to seek, Lord, what does it look like to, to be a good mom, to be a good dad? We thank you that you set that example for us. Father, I pray that you will help give us the wisdom, first and foremost, to, to be able to recognize the uniqueness of each kid that is under our care. God, help us not to try to impose on them who we want or think they should be, but rather ask for you. God, will you show us who they are and help us to foster that, to care for that, to teach them and point them to you and their natural giftings and abilities. God, help us to discipline when necessary. Help us to speak love and encourage when needed. And Lord, will you, as the good, good father, will you teach us then how to be good fathers and mothers ourselves? We love you in Jesus' name.